Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Better Questions podcast now on video. Check it out. Season two on video. Uh, you can see all the awkwardness live and in uh, full Technicolor. But uh, so we're here today to launch this season with a very important question. And it is something that we really think needs a better question. I should say it's an important topic that needs a better question. And we're talking today about can I lose my salvation or can one lose their salvation? You know, the bad thing about being on video is now everyone's going to see how often I look at my phone when you guys are talking and just like not paying attention. The other day, I was talking about the upcoming release of season two with a friend, and I was talking to him about some of the topics we were going to, to discuss. Me and him usually agree on on a lot of these uh, topics and like where we personally fall, but also like where we on the podcast usually land. But when we got to this, it really surprised me that he was actually. Um, making arguments for the doctrine of of once saved, always saved, or like, can you lose your salvation? He was talking about a friend who, uh, you know, he helped bring to Christ. They were baptized. They started to, to make changes in their life. He was seeing fruit, but then has, and he used a word that's pretty typical with this uh, belief, which is backsliding. He started to backslide into an old life and now is to the point where he's even uh, verbally denounced God. And so he's he was struggling then to even believe that was he ever saved to begin with. And that's kind of where he went. Not that, oh, it's a shame he was saved and now he's not saved. He went to this idea of, well, he must have never been saved to begin with. Yeah, this is, this is a question that I feel like comes up a lot. I, I've said before how the context that I'm in in Texas, um, we are in the Christian church. That's the church that I work in, which has long held the belief that you can lose your salvation. But also Texas is a very Baptist area. Um, that has a very strong belief that like once you're saved, you cannot lose that salvation. And so I feel like this is a discussion I'm seeing come up all the time in our context as well. This question, can you lose your salvation? And I, I think that there's a lot of things that um, are maybe problematic about that question, but I'll first and foremost say, I get it. We talk a lot about what's at stake with this question. I don't know that you could possibly have a higher stake than mm. what we're talking about with this question. If if we're talking about salvation in the sense of what that means for my eternity, I would kind of like to know if it's possible that my eternity is going one direction, but then it can change. And if so, what would cause that to change? Because I'd kind of like to avoid that. So I guess a great place to start is what's wrong with the question? And not to say that the question is inherently bad, but what are areas in, way, 
in which the question could be better. I mean, I can start. I think one of the problems I have with the question is not always, but I think the spirit behind this question sometimes is like, what's the bare minimum I can get away with? Like, what's the bare minimum of things I have to do to be quote unquote saved? And I think anytime you start from that angle, you're just going down the wrong trail. And I also don't like how all the focus is on us. Like, what do I do to be saved? Or um, am I always say, am I, are we? And I think when you start asking those kinds of questions, your answers always land back on you. And there's a lot of investigation on the human role. But then really when we talk about salvation, we often uh, forget about what God's role is and what God's intentions are. And that's not always, but I think sometimes that's what it is. Yeah, the other thing about this is it makes salvation into almost like a, a club or, or like, a, uh, like something that you can attain and then you, you hold it. Like it's something physical and you have or it's, or it's a, uh, a badge of honor you've now achieved. And then you have it and you always have it. And uh, I just find that to be a little troubling. Uh, and I just don't know if that's really um, what scripture has in mind when it talks about now a lifestyle that's different and being a light to other nations. Um, I don't know. I, I can kind of see, like you said, Chris, I, I get it. I can kind of see both ways, but at the same time, um, I'm a little troubled by the notion that salvation would just be this thing like, Oh, I got my ticket out of hell. So now I'm good. Well, and with that, uh, where I struggle with the question too, is it causes us to operate entirely out of fear, which I think is the wrong, the wrong perspective when it comes to salvation. Um, one example that jumps into my mind, my wife and I, we do foster care. And so we have, um, kids that, that come and are live with us and are becoming part of our family and think about how messed up and unhealthy it would be if every day they woke up, they were like, Oh, well, like, is today the day I'm going to do something where I get kicked out of this family? Like I'm in this family now, but like, can can I get kicked out of it? What what's gonna happen if I make one mistake? Well, what if I make two mistakes? Is five the draw? And it just creates this like entirely fear, anxiety ridden relationship with God, which I think is the opposite of what it's supposed to look like. Right. Yeah, and uh, another thing that's troubling is like this question of, of, you know, are you once saved and then always saved or can I lose my salvation? It it usually is also coupled with this idea of, um, like being one of the elect. And so, okay, so I'm one of the elect, which means now I have my salvation and I can't lose it. And so I can go and live at that point, however I want, but I'm, I'm one of the elect. But then on the other hand, there are people that talk about, well, if somebody does that, then they actually were never saved 
in the first place. That's kind of where my friend was getting to. And I feel like that's kind of another like troubling aspect of this, which is always kind of like you were saying, Chris, being in doubt. It's one thing to be in doubt for yourself constantly. It's another thing, like let's say you're a sibling of one of those foster kids and wondering if as the sibling going, oh, like my foster brother or sister, they must not be in the family for real because they're living how our parents said we shouldn't live. And so now I just kind of have to wash my hands and now they're not my brother or sister anymore. And I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what to do with that. I, I have heard lots of people who like take hold of the claim that once you're saved, you're always saved. You can never lose your salvation. Say that that is like a very comforting thing because they know like there is nothing that can happen that can take this away. But I actually feel the exact opposite about it because of what you said your friend said, Dan, which is, well, oh, well, now that this person is saying that they no longer believe in God, that means they were never saved in the first place. That is terrifying to me because if that's true, that means that like I I think I'm saved right now, but like maybe I'm not because maybe like five years from now I'm going to reject God. So I've just never been saved this whole time. And that means I can never actually know. And I think that that is the opposite of comforting yeah. and reassuring. You, you have the potential to create an anxiety within people who are actually trying their best to follow Christ. But you could create an anxiety where they are doing that, but then are like, well, I'm doing all this stuff and trying really hard, but that might not mean anything because in 10 years... Who knows? Right. And just in case you're new to the show, if you started watching because there's video, um, we're not bashing these views specifically or even people that hold them more. We're trying to, to show why this question at le- and, and this angle on this topic may not be super helpful and why it tends to cause division and cause arguments. Because the main thing we want to do with our show uh, is really two, two things. We want to call us all into action, ask questions that call us to action, and ask questions that bring unity to the church. And uh, I think this is an area where we really need unity um, because there's a lot of disunity around it. Well, and and to be fair, uh, I, I appreciate you saying that, Dan. I'm so I'll use the word critique. Uh, instead of bash, (laughs) but I will also be an equal opportunity critiquer because although I just said some things I think are really problematic and scary about the idea of once saved, always saved, I have always grown up in a tradition that says it is possible to lose your salvation, but no one has ever said in my context, like, definitively where that line actually is, Mm. which I think is also just as scary because then the question becomes, well, what, like, what's the final straw? Is it if I sin a hundred times? Is it if I sin a hundred and two times? Is it if I, if I reject Jesus? Okay. Well, what if like I go through a really hard time 
and I'm like, man, I'm not sure what I think about this right now. And then things change and my faith strengthens out of that time. Does that mean for like that two month period of struggle that I wasn't saved, but then my salvation came back? Like, what if I, I've heard so many stories of people who have been a follower of Jesus for a ton of their life. And then they were like an atheist for a year. And then they went, so does that mean like for that year they weren't saved and then they weren't back? Or does that mean there was grace, like what was actually going on deep in their heart and their subconscious, even though out loud they were saying, I don't believe in God. Like, I think that that's just as much of a fear and anxious and like really vague place to be as well. And I think we also need to talk about what we mean when we say saved. Mm. Because I have the feeling that when a lot of people ask this question, when they say, am I saved or can I lose my salvation? What they're really talking about is, in, am I going to heaven or not? Right, right. Yeah. And I would just like to push back and say, while that is a good concern to have, I don't think whether or not you went into heaven is the main concern in which the Bible is operating from. And so the, my problem I have with the question concerns how we talk about salvation itself. And when we continually phrase it at like, can I lose my salvation? I don't like the question because what we're really asking is, am I going to heaven or not? Or what do I have to do to get to heaven? Or what's the bare minimum I have to do to get into heaven? When in reality, the Bible has so much more to say about what it means to be saved, especially like here and now. And there's so many more reasons why you would mm-hmm. want to or would want to not lose it. Than other than just like, well, at the end, am I going to heaven or not? Would you agree with the statement, and I'm just coming up with this on the spot, so maybe it needs some work, that salvation is not a destination as much as it is an experience? Right. I'd agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I I would too. I would I, say it's a yes and it's like a is it a, is yes it, and is it a destination and. or an experience? I'd say yes, right? Yeah. Because um, I like to always go back to and reference. You know, there's Eastern ways of thinking and there's Western ways of thinking, and the Bible was born out of a Eastern culture and Eastern way of thinking, um, where typically the journey is more important than the destination. At the same time, I think there is some a biblical case to be made for the destination. Um, but I think the, the lion's share is the journey. But that being said, I think they're both there. And um, I don't want to step on the toes of another topic that we're going to have this season about baptism, but I really think that when it comes to salvation, there's this idea of um, it's it's not process isn't the right word. Because it's not like, well, I'm on, I'm only on step three out of five. So if I die today, I'm going to be hosed. But more that like, it is a journey and you're, you are saved the whole time you're on the journey. Um, and the journey is life. And when you die, then you arrive at the destination. But in a sense, Jesus talked about bringing the kingdom of heaven here and now. So if you're living in a way that does that, you can actually experience heaven now. So while you're on the journey, if you build the kingdom, 
you can both experience it now and experience it later. Help to build heaven here for yourself, for your family, your community, for the whole world. And I think that's what Andrew was talking about, a larger call that scripture and that Christ gives us for how we live our life. It's not, I'm a Christian so I can go to heaven and not be tortured consciously for eternity. It's, I'm a Christian, I want to follow Christ because I want to be a light to this world today and help make heaven and earth collide now. And I think that if you start looking at it that way and reading scripture that way, this idea, this question even kind of dissolves because it doesn't make any sense in that context. And the question does a lot of speaking for God because a lot of times, and heck, we might even do it here, but when you talk about this question, really what you're doing is like, well, no, God God is going to do this, and God feels this way, and God feels that way. And I know we have basis in which to say that based on like things in the Bible, but another problem I have with this is we're constantly just being like, no, trust me, once God saves you, that's it. It's good. He's good. And I just feel like God just is here just going like, um, like, hey, you know, like I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I think we should be cautious to draw the line so strictly that we're like pushing God out of the lines. Be like, no, we got it. Like we know who's saved and who's not saved. Like you can take a you can take a seat, God. And so I think I think any question that's like really trying to take the action away from God is a misguided question. Well and it backs God into a corner, which I don't like any questions that do that. Because either way, if you're saying once saved, always saved, you're saying Either or. As you just mentioned that God, like God isn't allowed to declare someone not saved once they have been declared saved. But if you're saying it the other way too, then you're saying, well, if a person does X, whatever we define that to be, then God's not allowed to save them anymore. He has to take away their salvation. And I don't like backing God into either of those corners. And, and we're constantly saying in the church, well, God's the one who does all the work. Right. And yet, at the, in the same breath, we start giving all the answers for him. But, like, if we're going to sit here and preach that, no, God, like, salvation is on God. Jesus does the work. Jesus saves you. God saves you. We say that. A lot of us, you know, put our hands up in the air. But then, but then, you know, we're talking about Joe Schmo over there, and we're like, well, he's not saved. Right. And that brings me to a question that I've just kind of honestly struggled with uh, for the better part of a, of a year now, probably, which is this idea that the traditional view of salvation I've had my whole life, uh, I started really thinking about it, and I've come to this idea that what if what I've believed for so long isn't really accurate? Because, you know, we talk about, okay, in our tradition, there's like this five-fold process of salvation, if you want to say that, right? It's like here believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. And if you do all those five things, you're golden. But yet in scripture, you read all about how salvation is by grace and not by works. Yet it's contingent upon those things that I do. And so, and in terms of this question too, it's like, so once I'm saved, there's like a moment where I've done or said the right things. 
and I've been declared righteous, and now I'm good to go. But that, I can't get it out of my head that that just sounds like I'm doing it. And it makes salvation a one-time thing. Right. I'm doing something that is now making me saved. I'm mentally assenting or believing in something and saying yes in my brain. And even whether or not that goes into any outward action or change of life except for baptism is almost irrelevant. I say I believe and I say a prayer, I get dunked in water, and it's like on the outside at least people go, okay, you're good. And it just, I can't get it out of my head that that just like, and I've heard all the arguments, you know, against that, but they just don't hold water for me. They haven't really cut through. And I don't know what to do with that except to just offer here that like, uh, this this isn't a full question. It doesn't fully address people like me that that have those wrestles and doubts because there's so many pre-assumptions in the question about, like we've talked about, what salvation is and if it's something you can lose or not. Like, it's just not helpful to someone, I think, who's really trying to even just study the scripture and make sense of what it says. Um, because there's, and then James, it's like faith without works is dead faith. So, okay, is it by grace where I literally have, I can do nothing to earn it or lose it? Or is it, <laughs> do I have to do these worth works to have a live faith that is faith that saves? Right. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up, that verse in James, because I, as I've been thinking through this, there's one area where I actually do see a lot of common ground between both sides, but I think that they're just trying to address that common ground in different ways. Uh, and so when I was in college, I remember I had a new Testament professor who one of the things he said over and over again is in the gospels, the most important question. And he didn't mean that of like, for like how we interpret, he meant like the stories that are being told. The most important question is, how do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus? And I think um, that's why all the stuff you're bringing up, Dan, is important because you can do all those things without having actually responded to Jesus, and they don't matter. And that's if a great you point. respond to Jesus, but like haven't done some of those things, then that's a question maybe for a different podcast, but is worth asking. But I think one thing both sides and James would agree on is that when you respond to Jesus, like everything changes. Nothing looks the same after that. And this is the question people are trying to address. The one side would say, well, If you claim to have responded to Jesus, but nothing looks different, then maybe you never actually responded to Jesus in the first place. And the other side would say, well, if you claimed at one time to have responded to Jesus, but like now nothing has changed, nothing looks different. Or things did change. Maybe you stopped responding to Jesus. Right. I think that the heart of it comes in when somebody did change there was fruit there right and fruit of the spirit even 
But then maybe a year later or five years later, then it's like I'm all of a sudden an atheist and I verbally denounce God and, you know, and that's, I think that's where it's like, well, because what my friend said, the friend that I talked about at the beginning was, you know, there's scriptural support for this too. But what he said was, because if you've truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good and truly like had an experience of the Holy Spirit and really felt that grace and love of God wash over you, how could you ever think anything else was better? And in light of that argument, I mean, I can see what he's saying. It makes sense. It's like, okay, if this is the best thing ever and you've truly experienced it, how could you turn your back on it? Well, and I don't have an answer for that. And I just, I again, I just feel like the question ignores the relational aspect of salvation. The co- The question, it seems to me, is so rooted in the legal language of salvation, which if you look at the way the Bible talks about salvation, it's not in a legal way. It's very covenant-based, covenantial. And so I always think about, think about it like this. When we, so what are we saved from? Mm. A lot of people would say hell. That's a good question. A lot of people would say hell, but I feel like if you're really going to take a biblical stance, the Bible again and again in the New Testament says we are saved from our sins. Okay, so we're saved from our sins. On the cross, what does Jesus do? He takes away the punishment of our sins, Right. He accomplishes that. Like, what's the punishment of sin? Biblical answer, death. death. He accomplishes that. He defeats death on the cross. So, in one sense, you can say salvation is a one-time thing. It's an event. On the cross, salvation, we are saved from our sins. But when you ask any Christian, have you conquered sin? They'd be like, no, I, I still sin. That's the relational aspect. So, it's yes, it's on the cross, Jesus took away the punishment, the penalty for sin, which I know is legalistic language, but it's not in the same way that like we think of like our court system. And I know we use a lot of modern day court analogies, which that's a whole nother topic. We need to stop doing that. But so there was a one-time event, but then when we talk about salvation, we also talk about a relational way because you don't, it doesn't just disappear overnight. There's ebbs and flow, like any relationship you use that as, as an example. There's highs, there's lows, there's I tasted and, and saw this amazing thing, but guess what? Emotions fade, memory gets foggy, and you get into a bad part in your life, and the relationship relationship gets testy. Right. But that's the ongoing salvation. Yeah. Paul writes in Philippians 2, and I think what he means is what Andrew's saying right now to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to in order to fulfill his good purpose like salvation is something that continues to be worked out in us as God is moving us closer and closer to like his purposes for us And maybe even like this is a really slight shift in linguistics, but maybe it's really important of of like saying a phrase like I am saved uh, or I was saved versus I am being saved. 
mm-hmm. maybe like would make that question irrelevant of like, if we are in a constant process of being saved, the question of losing your salvation almost doesn't even make sense of like, well, okay, this morning, like, am I not saved because I'm feeling this way? Like, it wouldn't make any sense when you view it as a journey, as something right. that's continuously happening. And when you look at the roots of um, biblical salvation and how God relates to his people, the way it starts is with God yearning for a relationship. And so uh, the root of my theology really is in the relational aspect of Genesis and how God relates to Adam and Eve. And it's such this desire of God is giving away control to these people he created. He's wanting co-creators. If you really study the theology of being made in the image of God, it's all about being co-creators. What is the image of God? It could be the fact that we are creative beings. Like like ancient kings would put statues out or send emissaries those statues and those emissaries would represent the king's authority elsewhere where the king wasn't and that's what adam and eve were to do and god gives adam hey name the animals take care of the garden and he's he creates this thing and he goes okay now i'm going to give you some of it and so when you really look at the relationship between god and man in, in a biblical sense it's such a foundation of relationship yeah I mean, and Jesus did that also. He came, he was like, you guys are messing this up. I need to come, I need to conquer sin, but also I need to re, re-show you how this like co-creator thing is done and how we're supposed to live on this planet. And uh, and then he left again. <laughs> it's like, came, died, rose from the dead. I've given you final instructions. We've lived together for three years. You know everything you need to, and I'm peacing out. You know? Yeah, and I think... The heart of this question often is, I want to get rid of the messiness of theology and just go, okay, tell me, black and white, how can I know absolutely this person or me is saved? And I think I just want to say, I we're going to have to get to a point where we're comfortable with the tension of there are certain sta- there are circumstances and situations and stories where we're just going to have to go, let, let's just let God do his thing. And we could come up with a hundred different scenarios of people having faith, losing it, coming back. Like, well, what happened to them? And we just have to give that over to God and be comfortable to say, we're not God. We don't know what's going to happen. And I know that's infuriating, but I would just like to say that if your motive is to get rid of the mess, it's probably a wrong motive. And we're just going to have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. And uh, I just like to take a second now and thank everybody who's still watching for still watching. Uh, I apologize for the awkward hand gestures. <laughs> I can't help it. Yeah, and I think this is a good time for just a little like caveat. I think almost in all of these episodes, there's going to be a point where one of us makes a statement that says something like, "Almost every issue we're going to talk about is way more nuanced than we normally want to admit or even think about," because the world is a complex, complicated place. Theology is complicated. We're dealing with a God that's beyond human understanding. And so the very idea that we could boil it all down to a yes or no 
question on anything is almost mind-blowing. So I think what Andrew's saying is it's like, this is a nuanced thing that's much more complicated than uh, we could either any of us can solve right now. And because of that, I think that is a great that is a great like place that we can all get to in conversation where we finally kind of lay down our pride, come together a little bit and go, this is what I think. But at the end of the day, it might be way more complicated than we have any idea of. So let's just come together on equal footing of saying like neither one of us can ever know this with 100% certainty. And maybe that could be the starting point of not only bringing unity, but even for our discussion of like, how can we find a better question that would step into that realm, that space and talk to people and say, okay, now that we're in agreement on that, what should we really be asking? What should we really be doing um, to, to fulfill the purpose that we're here for? Yeah. Well, maybe it's that time then, Dan. What should we really be asking instead of, can I lose my salvation? I don't know. I think uh, that's part of the beauty of this is we can, we can kick it back, back and forth a little bit and, and settle on something. Um, I think a lot of times if you go back to season one and you listen, you'll find that we get to that point in the podcast and then it's like, we all kind of already had something in our mind and we just kind of throw it out and it's like the very first thing we throw out, we go, that's it. And it's over. But I feel like for this it's one... It's normally me. What can I say? <laughs> uh, I feel like for this one, like maybe we could really kick it around a little more. Um, maybe discuss, you know, we've talked about why it's not helpful. What would be more helpful? And just, out of that discussion maybe a solidified question can emerge i think any question that shifts it back towards the hope we have because i think i think chris mentioned earlier so often when we ask that question or questions like it it's all about like the negative aspects of it like i don't want to lose it i don't want to be thrown into hell i don't want blah blah blah. but there's so much hope in the bible that god presents when it comes to his relationship to humankind and when it comes to salvation, and I would just say whatever question shifts the hope, shifts it back towards hope, is is a better question. So I would just throw out, this is something I've just been thinking about. I would rather ask, what does it, what does it mean to be saved? Because one, that's not a yes or no. And I think when you ask, what does it mean to be saved? It forces you to look into and dig and discover all of the things God does for you in salvation. And I think when you start reading into that, it gives you hope and assurance to trust God. Because ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to is, do you trust God? Because I get it. There are times when you're like, well, I don't know, maybe maybe God's turned his back on me. Maybe he's turned his back on him. And I think again and again, the Bible is just going, no, no, trust him. There's hope. Trust him. Just trust him. Yeah. Um, maybe you guys can help me formulate this into a question because right now it's just kind of an idea. Andrew, I love what you said about what does it what does it mean to be saved? 
I think I like the add-on of something along the lines of what does that look like? And what I mean by that is we, I think the the conversation is so much about what what do I do in order to become saved when the more powerful question is like, what does my life look like as a result of being saved? And what we've been talking about, I've brought up the fear and the anxiety so much that comes along with wondering all the time, like, am I still saved? Oh no. Like did, was that the thing that ruined it? Was that the thing that took it away? And the statement from Jesus that I find myself bringing almost every sermon and every conversation back to is when Jesus says like, I came so that you would experience life in all of its fullness. Like that, that's what living out salvation should look and feel like. Not the, not the fear and the anxiety and the constantly walking on eggshells, but a, a life lived in all of its fullness. And so I don't know how that translates into a question, but I think that would be like, that would be the aspect, not of like, how do I lose it? But like, how do I truly experience it? Yeah. We're really good at saying what the question should sound like, but not actually (laughs) coming up with the question. Me being the guiltiest one. That's the beauty of it, man. That's the beauty of it. I feel like the question should look and have these dimensions but I don't know what it is. Hey, if you ask me, that, that's the show. Yeah. That's yeah, what it that's is. That's the show. It's a show about a show? No. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. But, but yeah, go ahead. back to his point, I feel like so much of Jesus' message in the New Testament is a plea to calm the nerves and anxieties of the people of his day. Do not worry. Do not worry. Trust. Yeah. And for me a story that really changed the way in which I think about salvation is in the book of Genesis where God makes a covenant with Abraham and it's super weird. But when you dig into it, I find it so comforting because God wants to make this covenant with Abraham. So God appears to him and what image we see is out before Abraham are these carcasses of animals which already were in strange territory. But back in ancient times, the way you'd make a deal with someone is to lay out the carcasses of animals and then the two parties would walk between them as a way to say, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, then may I become like these animals. And so God and Abraham are ready to walk through this line of animals, dead animal carcasses. But Abraham falls asleep and God walks through it by himself. And I think in the passage, God appears as like a, like a fire pot or like an image of fire or something, but whatever this representation of God walks through these dead animal carcasses, this deal by himself. And when you read into the subtext, it's like God is saying, you know what? You don't even have to worry about whether or not you're going to uphold this end of the deal. Because I will walk through this. I can uphold both ends myself. And I will make sure that this covenant isn't broken. And that's not to say then that, oh, put your feet up, it's okay. 
but it's God saying, I am committed even when you aren't. And I am faithful even when you aren't faithful. And when you look at the story of Israel as a whole, is that not the message? Where again, time after time, Israel falls away, different idols, isn't faithful. And then God does rebuke and God does punishment. Or does punish. And that is real. There are real warnings. God pleads to come back. But when it's all said and done, God walks through the line by himself. And he says, but I am faithful. But I am faithful. I like that. I like that a lot. And I, I don't know how to translate that into a question. But uh, <laughs> if I go back to what Chris said before that, um, something that popped into my mind is like, what if a question was something like, what would be different in my life if I lived as if I was saved? Because we can never really know with 100% certainty. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, at the end of the day, no matter how much faith or certainty you think you have, like you're always going to be afraid that you're for your friend or maybe for yourself in times of doubt. But like, what if we could ask ourselves, like, what would be different in my life if I just lived as if I was saved? And I think that helps in, in tandem with what does it mean to be saved? Because then that, that question calls you into action. It calls you into thinking about what does a life look like by someone who is saved or what is it supposed to look like? And then if you determine to live in that way, um, I feel like it's got to work out for you in the end. You know what I mean? Like over and over again, it seems like God is saying like what matters is today, the choices you're making how you're living your life, not to earn the salvation I offer freely, but because you already have it. Now it's like, yeah, live into it. Let's roll up our sleeves together as co-creators and make this world what it needs to be. And through the act of doing that, it's almost like you're, again, you're living as if you already are saved. You're right. You don't have to, try and be like get in the club it's like okay act as if you already are in the club and what do people that are in this club do and do that yeah does that make sense the prodigal son didn't lose his sonship when he was away right but he wasn't living into it that was his error was that when when the father welcomes him back he's almost saying you you are my son everything i have is yours you already had it now you just have to accept it and live into it and the older brother was staying on the farm and doing all the right things, but he also wasn't living into it because he's upset that he gets the fatted calf and the dad is like, you could have had that anytime you want because you're here and everything I have is yours. Like you you were kind of living with this chip on your shoulder that all the people that hit rock bottom and experience these giant things of grace get all the attention when it's like, but you're already at the party every day, but you're... You're so consumed by anxiety or worry or looking at everybody else that you forget like... Both were ignoring the relationship. Both were ignoring the relationship. You can be lost away and you can be lost at home. Right. Maybe one could even say that the younger brother in that story was the definition of thinking you can lose your salvation and the older brother was the definition of thinking you're secure and your salvation and you couldn't lose it 
and they were both missing out. Right. And that's like the that. power of Jesus' teaching is it often cuts through both assumptions. Right. And it challenges you and it asks a question and that right. question is unresolved. I think the question Andrew submitted, can you say it again? Um, you always ask me to re-say <laughs> my question. What, what does it mean to be, to be saved? saved? What, does, what it does it mean to be saved? I think that's, that is a great question. And I think if you ask it along with this idea of asking yourself, what would be different in my life and how would I live different if I knew 100% I was saved? I think those those two questions are certainly better questions because they they get conversation started with yourself that can motivate you into action. But also I think if you're going to approach a conversation with somebody else, they're questions that I think both sides of this argument could agree on, um, maybe not have the exact same answers, but they can agree that they're, they're profound questions to ask. Yeah, we can all unite around the exploration of salvation and we can all unite around all of the things God does for us in salvation. And why wouldn't we rather spend our time doing that than bickering over who is and who isn't saved? Well, thank you so much for watching and for listening. This has been the Better Questions podcast. And uh, I just wanted to call to your attention that uh, if you're just listening to this, we have also launched the YouTube channel. We've been talking about the video uh, throughout this whole time. So if you've not checked that out, please, you can do that. We also, for season two, have launched a Facebook page and an Instagram. So if you want to follow us, uh, it's at Podcast. And uh, the final thing I want to mention before we end is that we've also started a Patreon. And if you enjoy our show and if you've been listening for a while or if you're brand new, I would please uh, just ask that you would consider uh, supporting us on Patreon. Like, we're in my basement with like... um, Look, I just want to sit in a chair that wasn't designed for a toddler. (laughs) Like, what what is this? Do you see this thing? It's like the chair a creepy Annabelle doll would sit in. There's no heat down here. There's like 12 inches of snow outside and we're in a basement. If you were wondering why Andrew was sitting like this the whole time. So so really, just make Andrew comfortable. <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you so much. Uh, we could not do this without you. We're so thankful for you, our viewers and our listeners. And uh, we love you ask better questions out there that call us to action and bring unity to the church.